Amen. Y'all ready to get into the word? <laughs> Y'all ready to get into the word? Well, we came out of the gate hot Sunday morning on Victoria's Secrets. Did you enjoy that? Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to just kind of touch on a few things I didn't get to finish up Sunday morning. You know, when, you, when you're a minister of the gospel and you preach, um, sometimes you kind of hit a vein that you don't plan on staying in a long time. It might be your first point, then you end up an hour there. And then you have all these other things that you really feel like you need to get out. So tonight I'm just going to kind of do a follow-up. This is not going to be a part of the series or, you know, anything that we put online other than it'll be on the, the podcast, but it won't be a part of what we're putting together as a series. But I do want you to see a few things. You know, our, our foundational text is uh, Psalms 23, and we're just going to read that again. Psalms, 23, chapter, uh, Psalms chapter 23, verse 1, New King James, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Uh, he's restore, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness or right standing for his name's sake. Yea, as I walk through, say through, the valley of the shadow, say shadow, of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff comforts me. Now, there's plenty more that goes on with that. Uh, and we talked a lot about that Sunday. But I want, I want, to, I want to get something into you. Go with me real quick to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And it's something we talked about Sunday morning, but I want to I build on this real quick. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who, fear, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Stop. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a really big, big picture here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stroke with big strokes, so uh, just, just follow me. Just leave that scripture up there too for me, Juan. Just leave that up there. It says that if you fear, you've not, made, been, perfect, you've not been made perfect in love. Now, that's, understand something. We've taken that and we, we've, been, we've misused that. And we've beat people up, and we've, we've, we've browbeaten them, and we've told them, well, you must not be in faith, and, and all these different things, especially those of us Pentecostal, Word of Faith type people, charismatic people. We tend to roll with this and use this in ways we don't need to. But what this says is there is no love, uh, there is no fear in love, colon, which means that there's an explanation coming, which means God is what? Come on, word people. God is love, correct? There's no fear in him. Satan has done a just miraculous marketing job of getting the church to buy into the fact that God should, you should fear the Lord, that you should be so scared of a, a loving and wonderful God. And the truth is, is you should have respect. You absolutely should have respect and honor for who he is. And, and, and you know, he's the creator of the universe. He's all power, but he is all love. And when the Bible says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment, he that fears is not made perfect in love is basically saying if you have fear in an area, you have not let that area be completely submitted to God. Now, the easiest way I can tell you, uh, paint this picture for you is this. April and I have been in some very horrible situations in ministry. And... Uh, we use ourselves as examples that way we don't offend anybody. But we've been in situations to where we've been, we've been hurt, we've been used up, we've been dried up, we've been tired, uh, we've been burnt out, we wanted to quit, and all these different things. We just kept pushing forward. 
And when we finally had somebody named Matt Gober come into our life, who was our spiritual dad. If you don't know that story, we can tell that later. Matt Gober was a spiritual father to us. April never had a father in her life. I lost my father when I was 12. So for us to have a father was a big deal, especially one who represented Jesus so well. And we developed, now this didn't ha- understand, this did not happen overnight, okay? But we developed such a relationship with this person in our life that when the time came for him to correct, we finally got to the place that we would accept that correction because we weren't afraid any longer that he would hurt us. Amen. When you get to the place that the authority in your life has correction ability because you're not afraid they're going to hurt you, but they're correcting you because they love you, that is perfect love casting out all fear. And when you get to that place where, where you're walking in perfect love in that area, I'm just going to tell you all something. I don't, I don't mean to give you homework for the rest of your life, but you're going to forever be walking this out. You're in a fallen creation with a fallen enemy that is forever trying to get you to fear God in such a way that you see him as bad. Because if he can get you to fear God and fear Jesus and to fear the cross and to fear people, what he's done is he's kept you away from something that is your very freedom. And let me tell you something. Y'all know me. I love churches. But we as ministries have done a horrible job of showing the love of Christ. People come in and they want to get saved or they want to get baptized and they want to come. They want people to pray for them. We want to get involved. But they've been so burnt out or so hurt or so judged. You know, Christian people are, oh, in church we're shouting and praying in the Holy Ghost and running around. But in Walmart we're talking bad about everybody. And, and the truth is, is we've painted that picture. That's not God. We've painted that picture. And as we've painted that picture over the decades and years, we've, we've sown into this nation and this county and people around us that you can't trust church people. And we got to break that. Somehow, some way, that's got to end. And it might just end with you. But the truth is, if you're in perfect love, you can't be looking to destroy somebody else. Amen. You can find out where somebody's at real quick. If, if they're so quick to bash somebody else, they are nowhere near where they need to be. So go with me uh, in the Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9. We're going to go to verse 24. Verse 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Now, let's go back and let me paint this entire picture. Verse 14 says, And when he had come to the disciples, he saw the great multitude around them uh, and scribes uh, disputing with them. Immediately when he saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeting him. Verse 16 And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? The one of the crowd answered, the teacher, I brought you my son, who was of mute spirit. The King James says demon possessed. Verse 18, and it seizes him and throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. He's basically saying, my son's possessed. I don't know what to do. Verse 19, he answered him and said, uh, basically, his disciples had tried to cast it out, tried to deal with it, couldn't deal with it. And he answered, he said, oh, faithless generation, how long? Shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. 
They brought him to Jesus, and when he saw him, he immediately, uh, the spirit convulsed in him, and he fell upon the ground, wallowed and foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening? He said, from his child. Verse 22, he's often thrown both into the fire and into the water, trying to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Now, verse 23, Jesus said, if you can believe, say believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Stop. All things are possible to him that... Now, we love to shout that. All things are possible to him that believe. Next verse. Verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, I believe, help me with my unbelief. This one statement is the absolute division of the church everywhere you go. Now, Dad Hagen says it this way. You can believe God with a heart full of faith. And a head full of doubt. What he's saying is, I know up in here, something, something up in here is telling me that, that you're for my good. I know something up in here is telling me that you want to do this. I know in here that, and, and it manifests itself in people saying these words. Now listen very closely. You've heard this or you've said this. I know God can. I'm not sure if he will. Well, immediately Satan has you because he already has That's what the cross was for. The cross was to open up the door for you to walk as Jesus walks. So the confusion comes in because in your heart you really feel like something can really go right. But in your head you tell yourself why this and why that and I'm not this and I don't measure up and my pedigree is not right. And I can't talk the talk and I don't know all those Christian words and, and all this. And you paint yourself a picture because what's in here begins to come out of your mouth versus what's in here. And it's not uncommon, listen to me, it's not uncommon for you to be right on the edge of your miracle, but you talk yourself out of it. That actually happens a whole lot more than people think. Because you get over into this place of reasoning. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Y'all should have a big place in your Bible where Romans is, because we end up there almost every service. Because Romans is the chapter that defines how the church is supposed to carry itself, or the book. Romans eight fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But you, you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to what? Fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Don't have time to deal with that. Verse 16. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the uh, children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, a joint heirs of Christ. If indeed that we suffer, we're not dealing with suffering, that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in who? Us. For the earnest expectation, say expectation, of creation, that's you and that's everything assigned to you, eagerly awaits for the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 20, for creation was, subject, or was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, capital H, talking about Jesus, because of him who subjected in hope, he gave himself for it, verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered, say delivered, from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, amen, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. 
All of that says this. Get out of your head. Stay in your heart. Now, we've had a few kids. I say we like I had a part in that in the delivery room other than annoying someone. And now, we never went through this, but in TV shows and in movies you see this. You, you see somebody in hard labor and somebody struggling, and you hear these words, I can't. I can't. I just can't. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just real dramatic. And the truth is, I'm sure there comes a time in that exhaustion and pain and, and childbirth that, that your mind tells you that you can't. But something in your body's like, oh, something. <laughs> you can't stop this. <laughs> you can try all you want to, but you can't stop this. You do understand that birth was the creation and the example of how things enter this earth from the Spirit. So there has to come a place where this man says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Something's happening, but I don't know if I can handle it, but yet I'm going to go with this because I just can't stop this. And when your faith level gets higher than your fear level, more things begin to happen in your life in the Spirit because something in your fear can't stop what your faith is bringing in and you learn how to close your mouth on talking against it and no matter how crazy it looks, you're just going to believe it's going to come to pass. This ain't about stuff. This ain't about bank accounts and watches and airplanes and all that stuff. This is about being at a place where God has told you, this is what I want for you, and you're just crazy enough to believe him. And because you're willing to say what he said, you can have anything that you can believe God for if you're willing to get quiet enough to hear what he says about it. The biggest problem with faith is that we decide what we want like God's some big Santa Claus, and say, this is what, I'm believing God for this. But you never took the time to stop and listen to what he had to say about that very subject. I've always, always, always had a desire to be in aviation. I've always had a desire to fly airplanes. As a little boy on, I've always had a desire. Somewhere, uh, somewhere around... 14 or 15 after my father had passed away, I gave up that dream. I just gave it up. There was no use in it. Uh, I'm, I'm, my dad's gone. i got to pay my way. Uh, you know, just a rough life. And aviation is very expensive. Praise the Lord. But the truth is, it never went away. And there came a time that the Lord began to talk to me about aviation. Because here's what, now, now let me just get on my soapbox about aviation. This is what people don't understand about aviation. People say, well, I don't, preacher don't need an airplane. It's just unnecessary. Well, you got two feet. It's unnecessary for you to have a car. I expect you to walk home tonight. It's not about what's necessary. It's about what's needful to speed up the time. Because if, now listen to me. If God speaks to me, or let's just take me out of it, okay? I'm not the preacher. Let's say Jan. Say God speaks to Jan. Jan, I need you. I need you to go to, to Idaho. There's, I need you to be there. I need you to lead all these people to Jesus. But you got to be home tomorrow. Now, She's got to go buy a commercial ticket and fly to Orlando to fly back to Atlanta to fly to Idaho. Is she going to be home tomorrow? No. But, it, but it, she can walk right out there to JFX, which is Bevel Field, and, and for, for a quarter of that money, fly to Idaho, get people, 20 people saved, and fly back. And people will say, well, that ain't of God. But she's going to spend 
quadruple the money to fly in places that she don't need to fly. And here's why. Can I just, it's the issue of you don't see the value in what's being carried. When people see out here at this, this airport, now I'm just using aviation as my personal example. You can use it any way you want to. When people pull out here from the city council, now this comes back to fear and, and faith, so listen to me. When people from the city council of Jasper, and they pull out here to this airport, and they see that, that $8 million falcon land, and the people get off and they're bringing Applebee's, everybody shouts. Thank God they tore down Ryan's and Applebee's is coming. I know y'all thinking that inside. Y'all glad they got them roaches out of there. I understand. You know why? Because you value what they're bringing. They didn't go to Orlando. They came straight here. But yet, if Matt Gober or Tracy Harris or somebody else lands out here, Mark Barkley, they say, what does that preacher need a plane for? Because what he brings to help a church grow is much more than a hamburger and some cheese sticks. It's just the value that you put on things. See, God doesn't care about the things you care about until you bring them to him, and then he talks to you about them. See, we throw things. Here's the best example. Jordan is, and she's in the back, but Jordan is a master. She's the baby of 10, and she, she had, they're already nodding. She has learned how to work the crowd. She gets almost anything she wants, almost, because daddy's still involved. But she gets anything she wants because she's learned how to ask the question. See, we don't know how to ask the question. We go to God and say, like when, 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 they're, when the disciples and Jesus are in a boat, and that boat's being tossed by the storm, and Jesus is asleep on the pillow, and the first thing they say to Jesus is, don't you even care that we're going to die? What spoke first? Fear. See, they didn't ask the question right. The question was, hey, show us how to deal with this. That's faith. Honestly, the results that they wanted were the same. But the question was wrong. Is this making sense to you? Now, Jordan will come and say, you know, Dad and Mom, I've really talked to God about having a bunny. Yeah, where's Cody at? Yeah. yeah. Still ain't got no cage on my front porch. <laughs> and then she goes, I've sowed seed. See, because she grew up in this thing. She knows, she knows how to work it. She, and it but, but here's the thing. She actually did those things because that's what she's seen. At her little heart, she got everything. She, I mean, all she got to do is ask. There's, there's 11 people in the house. All she got to do is ask somebody. She's going to get whatever she wants. But she asked the right question, the right way to the right person, and here we are. <laughs> Which I, I think it's awesome. Because Cody, because you know what? God moved on. He'll, he'll tell you he didn't do it because it was Jordan. God told him to do it. He'll tell you, I felt in my heart I needed to do that. Now, I wish you God fill in your heart. Come on over and clean that litter box out. But <laughs> Just call me when you're ready. <laughs> but I'm playing, Cody. But she's asking the right questions. Now, April's just dealing with a little, our air conditioner's out upstairs, so it's really hot, so we're sleeping under fans. So it's got April a little, 
Her voice is a little odd, a little congested. So this morning, April goes, Jordan, go do ABC and go get me. And Jordan goes, you know, I think I might could get sick if I got too close. I don't think I need to do that. <laughs> that ain't how you answer that. <laughs> what you say is yes and amen, hallelujah. <laughs> the point is, just because she knows how to ask the right question doesn't mean she knows how to respond all the time. And either one of those, listen, either one of those is not going to stop her from being mom. So even though you may have messed it up and even though you might have screwed up the question and even though you may have not have known how to approach him, you have the right to say, I'm still your kid, Lord. Help me in my unbelief. Are y'all seeing this now? In my heart, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. In my heart, I know this is what you talked to me about. In my heart, I know that you told me this is my life. In my heart, this is the family you've given me. This is, this is the life. This is the career. This is whatever you've told, you told me to do. But up in here, Lord, I'm having a tough time. And then you get to that place where you're quiet with him, and all of a sudden what's in here takes over what's in here. But you never get there without peace. You never get there without getting alone with him. You never get there without unplugging. You never do. You can't. Listen to me. You, <laughs> you're not going to get into the will of God because some, you shared something on Facebook. It's just not going to happen. You know, I, I, those people drive me crazy. I just, you know, I get, I get messages all the time and text messages and all these different things of, of pray for me, my kid's sick. Pray for me, we need this. My car's broke down. Now, now they, don't, they don't go to church. Now, I'm not knocking them for that, but they don't go to church. They're not a part of a body. They're not hooked in. They're not linked in, they're all this stuff. But they want you to put your spiritual time on them, which by compassion you will do, but it will not work because they don't pray for themselves. And y'all have got to understand something. I may have a voice in your life as a pastor, but you have the greatest spiritual voice in your life every day. Your job is to get up and to command your day every day. It doesn't matter. Look, there's days I wake up and I feel like she loves me. There's days I wake up and I'm leaving. I don't know what y'all did, but I'm leaving because I can. <laughs> But it doesn't change the covenant. It doesn't change how we feel about each other. It's just that moment is different. See, you have to understand, God doesn't deal with human emotions like you do. So as a parent, I can't fathom. Now, this happens and I don't understand it. But as a parent, I can't fathom any of my children doing something so far that I might have to disconnect. I might have to not give them money. I might have to distance. But I'll never stop loving them. And if, if I can do that as a, as a mere mortal flesh broken man, how much more can God do? He has never stopped caring about where you're at. He cares about every situation you're in, but he cares more that you bring it to him. Now, Jesus went to the cross, and he carried all. The Bible says he took on all. All. Now, I said this, I said this uh, uh, last Wednesday night, and, and I, had, I can't even count the responses from people that had, had messaged me and, and told me they never thought about it this way. But the truth is this. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross as a victim of disease, all kinds of disease, everyone named, and stuff you ain't heard of yet. 
He went to the cross as somebody who had been raped, had been molested, had been abused. He went to the cross as that. He carried that. But he also went to the cross as the abuser, as the rapist, as the person who wanted the disease to be on somebody, as the person who broke the family. He took it all. And he took it all so it could die on a cross so you could have a right to go into the Word and say, I'm covered in the blood of victory. And because I'm covered in the blood of victory, all the things that have a name bow to the name that covers me. Because it's not about Alan, but it is about Jesus. And if Alan stays in Jesus, then Jesus gets to rule. And if Jesus gets to rule, then Jesus' results begin to show up. And if Jesus' results begin to show up, I get to look back and my life before was yea as I walk through the shadow. Y'all see it now? Perfect love casts out all fear now you might have it all together in the area of prosperity but if you don't have it together in your health what good is it you got five thousand quadrillion dollars in the bank and your heart's exploding right what good is it if, if, if you are somebody who's, who's got your health under, in, in order but you believe I'm supposed to be broke you understand God died for you to have all. And this prosperity movement is not a movement of money. It's, an, it's a movement of victory and overcoming. It's a movement of you getting to the place. What people don't understand, that real prosperity is peace and overcoming in every area. Real prosperity has nothing to do with planes and money and stuff. Real prosperity is waking up in the morning and not dreading the day you're about to go into. How awesome would it be for you to lay your head down at night and not stress over anything? Has anybody ever done that? I know I haven't. Now, I used to. I, April used to get on to me. She's like, you can sleep anywhere. And I used to could. I, I, I let pressure get on me now, but I used to could. And she would say this to me. She would say, <clears throat> if, it was, if you wasn't, for me and these kids, you wouldn't care about nothing. And she's right. Because the kids and her, really all I cared about for a long time. And let me just tell you all something. It wasn't care of that I didn't love people or things. But it was where my focus was. My focus was on God my wife and my kids and everything else just kind of faded. And if I kept that in line, everything else worked. And if I kept that in line, perfect love worked. Now, I understood not getting in fear. And I'm going to tell you all this story, and it's going to be a little strange, but just roll with me. <clears throat> right before my father died, a couple of years, I was 10. I was small. Some of y'all that are closer to my age, you remember the movie The Exorcist? Anybody remember The Exorcist? Yeah. Now today, y'all watch The Exorcist today, all you young people, and y'all be like, how cheesy is that? Y'all don't understand. In my day, scariest movie ever, ever, except for Jaws. Jaws kept everybody off the beach, which I was happy about. I had the beach to myself when I go surfing, but Jaws was a different story. Now, so I'm 10 years old. My father's still alive, and... We live in a house. My dad owned an apartment complex, and we lived in a house behind it. And my dad said, you are not to watch that movie. This is about, y'all, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of this thing. It's called a VHS tape. <laughs> yeah. Can I believe, I am so old that I have to describe what a VCR is. 
<laughs> anyway, y'all bet y'all don't know nothing about beta. Anyway, so some friends of ours that my sister hang out, hung out with in the, one of the apartments that they rented from my dad had rented this movie. And my sister didn't tell my dad. She just said, hey, you're going to come down there and stay with us tonight. We're going to have a slumber party. And I, I should have known in my 10-year-old brain, this woman wants to kill me every day of my life. Why is she inviting me down here? But she did. And we watched that movie, and I'm going to tell you, it's the scariest thing I'd ever seen in my life at that time. And now it was nothing for me to walk that 50 yards from that apartment to my house every night, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It was nothing for us to do. We did it all summer long. I wasn't doing it that night. So I had to stay down there with them, and I get back up to the house, and, and my dad is sitting there. It's before he got really sick, and my dad's talking to me, and and he could tell something's not quite right. And uh, he said, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then, y'all, believe it or not, sun's outside, no storm, nothing. Lights go out. I'm like, seriously? Now, <laughs> I've been running around in the yard, so I just came in the house and ate lunch and drank all bottles of water and Coke and all that stuff. So now i got to go to the bathroom. And the lights are out. Y'all don't understand this house. There's, a house. there's a bathroom in the center of the house that has no window. So there's no light. So I'm 10 years old, and my dad's like, boy, go to the bathroom. And I'm like, Dad, I'm scared. Now, he had never heard me say those words before ever. I said, Dad, I'm scared. And he knew then something was up. And he said, just leave the door open. It's just me, just me and you and your sister here. Just leave the door open. Don't worry about it. So I left it cracked where there was some light, and I'm 10 years old, you know, in there, going to the bathroom. And my sister decides that she's going to come with face mask stuff <laughs> and slam the door and start acting like her head's twisting. And I had to clean the bathroom 20 minutes later. <laughs> now... My dad laughed so hard, his top dentures flew across the room. And I got so mad that at 10 years old, I said, nothing will ever scare me again. But see, that's human determination, and it made me hard. It made me mean. You know what I'm saying? So my dad took me and he talked to me and he, he loved on me and he said, look, this is all fake. You know, this, none of this stuff is real and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and that marked me as a little boy that from that point on, I was never going to let anybody get the best of me ever, ever again. And honestly, it painted a picture in my life. And even to this day, there's a facade that I keep up because I don't want to be afraid. But it, it's not God. But see, that was a human determination not to be afraid. That wasn't perfect love. Because perfect love would say it doesn't matter if there was, it doesn't matter if you, you, you caught up in all this stuff. I got you. That's what perfect love says. Now, people kind of, they, they kind of give me an April hard time on how we raise our kids. But the truth is, is we've, we've never, we don't, we, don't do, we don't do horror movies at our house. But we also don't teach fear. 
We don't teach the boogeyman. It amazes me that, that if we'll go somewhere, you'll see people say, well, I'm just going to, the kid won't get up and run. They won't get up and come on. So I would just leave you here and, and somebody can just take you on. And just planting in their heads. And people think, oh, it's just good fun. Are you insane? That's a seed in that kid's brain that will grow way faster than what goes into our old gray-headed brains. And the truth is, is you're putting fear in that kid. And, and I'm not saying you beautiful people do it. I'm just saying I've seen it, and it amazes me. And, and people will come to our house, and they'll stay with us or visit or minister friends or whatever. And 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, Jordan's up walking downstairs, cooking her some food, going over downstairs. And we've never seen that before. Why is that? And it's one simple reason is we don't teach fear. We just don't. Now, we teach sense. Now, if the dog's outside going nuts, don't go out there and investigate. Come get dad. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and Hannah, Hannah's so mad about it because she wants to cut somebody. She does. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she really does. She's, she, she's got mace and a knife, and she's like, I really want to use this, Dad. And then, she's, and then she goes, I need a pistol. I mean, you are not getting a, you want to cut people. You, I'm not getting you a pistol. So anyway, <laughs> but the point is this. If it's not something that you continually sow, it's not something you continually deal with. But if it's something you continually dealing with, what is it that you're continually sowing? Because somewhere along the way, you're allowing things to get in there that keep you in fear in one area of another. Now, one more story. Y'all okay with me? One more story. Now, Brother Copeland told this story. Uh, years and years ago, but I heard him tell it again at a minister's conference, and this is a confirmed story. This really happened. When he was young in his ministry, uh, when I say young, we're talking about, about 25 years ago. He's been in ministry 50 years, but 20, 25 some odd years ago in the 80s, he had a, a partner show up at his, his uh, church in Texas. Somebody that had been sowing into his ministry for years and just got a meeting with him and sat down and said, Brother Copeland, will you go pray for my daughter? She was bright, and she was in college, and things were going great, and, and she was just being, she was becoming a success, and, and all of a sudden, one day, she just, it's like the light went off, and, you know, back in them days, I don't know if y'all remember, back in them days, if somebody just act crazy, the family just signed them, and they just go on, that you didn't have to have a court order, you just put them in a, a, walk, a psych ward, that's how it was, and she had been in this thing, uh, I, think she, I think somewhere around 15 years she had been in there. She'd been in there a while. No, it was 10 years. It was 10 years because she was, uh, she, was in her, she was 35, and this happened when she was 25. So she was 35. She'd been in the psych ward for 10 years. Brother Copeland had felt the, the move of the Holy Ghost. He said, yeah, I'm going to see her. Give me the address. And he, he flew, got on his plane, you know, because he had to get there, went that day. He flew out there, and he walked in. And when he walked in, she started growling. And she said, I know who you are. And he said, perfect love casts out all fear. That's all he said. He didn't scream, yell, lay hands on none. He just said, he said, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And she just kept growling at him. And then he said, the Lord spoke to her, to him, and said, you hug her. And you tell her that I'm not angry with her. And you tell her that I want her to serve me. And you tell her that it's not her fault. And those sound like very general things. And he said, she's growling. And, you know, the human mind will say, she's going to bite you on the neck. You better, you better watch yourself. So you kind of side hug, you know. 
But he goes in and he bear hugs her. And he whispers these things to her. And she screamed and she hit the floor. And he said, I thought they were supposed to come arrest me. Because she looked like she was dead. And she got up and he said, she got up and she was crying. And her face was glowing and her eyes were bright and everything was good. And they got her cleaned up and she was at her mind. She hadn't been in her, her sane mind in 10 years. And even the staff, they were all at the door. They were amazed. And he said, what happened? What, what's, what's going You know, what can I do? Ten years earlier, she was in college, just graduating college, wanting to get her life going, and gone to a tent revival and gotten saved in a tent revival. And in this tent revival, she gives her life to the Lord. She has, a, I mean, just one of those, you know how you have one of those salvations? I mean, you know, some people get saved and some folks get saved. You know what I'm saying? She just fell in love with Jesus. And she just got so excited that, that she told him, she said, I'm going to join the church. I'm going to be a part of this. I know God's calling me to the ministry. I know I'm supposed to do something. And she goes and she buys several new outfits. And, and she's going to, she gets her nails done. She gets pedicure and she cuts her hair. She gets her makeup done. She comes back to the next night. They're not out of the camp meeting. They're into the regular church. She comes back to the regular church. And they said, oh, uh-uh. With that makeup and that hair, God ain't going to put up with that. And crushed her heart. And three, four, five days later, she just started fading into this world. That brokenness and that fear that God's mad at me. She spent 10 years in a mental institution because of that mess right there. And all it took was for her to realize that God's not mad at you. And when you realize that the creator of the universe has got your back and he's not mad at you, it changes everything. Now, look, we're not going to be perfect, but we can be perfected. We get to put our head on his shoulders. We get to put our head on his chest. We get to hear his heartbeat. We are covered in the blood of his son so that when he looks at this earth, he still sees his own heartbeat. And when he sees his own heartbeat, all he wants is to hear his words come out of our mouth. Because if he hears his words come out of our mouth, he knows that we're paying attention to his will. Then his will becomes our will, and our will becomes manifested because ours is his and his is ours. And there's this marriage in the spirit where things begin to happen. And when you're hung up on what you think, now let me just tell you this. If you're so prideful you're not willing to hear the Lord on something, if you want to go, well, I, that's not what I believe, why do you not believe that? See, years ago when I first got saved, I had the, the curse of church attendance was not something I dealt with because <laughs> I, I went to church just long enough to get cookies and then I quit. So when I came in, I came in hungry for God, not church. Now, church is part of it. You need to be a part of a church. But I came in hungry for him. And when I began to learn how to walk things out his way, and I would come and talk to the mentors over me and say, this is what the Lord's saying, they would immediately go, I don't know if God works that way. My question would be, why don't you know if he works that way? Well, you know, in this handbook, see, I don't really care what the handbook says. He told me. Now, I'm not saying open rebellion. I'm saying I struggled with the fact that the people I was submitting myself to didn't believe that he loved you like that. And I can't read in this beautiful leather-bound book anywhere where God's angry at you and that the covenant of the cross doesn't give you love in anything more than that. 
This girl spent 10 years in a mental institution. 10 years in a mental institution. Because a bunch of holiness preachers told her because she cut her hair, she was going to hell and she couldn't serve the Lord. And I want to say this and then we're going to be done. God is so much more concerned with the condition of your heart than the condition of your hair. He is so much more concerned with you putting him in you than he is with what your friends think about him. He needs to know. Listen, people say, he's God. He doesn't need anything. Yes, he does. He needs you. He needs your voice. Because it's your voice saying his words that will change your life. It's not, listen, I'm a word of faith guy. I believe in confessions. Our Becoming Center has a list of them. Every week they have to learn confessions and scriptures. Not because they need to have them here, but they need to have them here. My friend, Dean Sykes, good friend of mine. Some of you know him for being here. He's got a book called Two Days in October. And it's a real quick book, but I'll I'll break it down in 90 seconds. He he lost lost an engine in his plane. And they almost crashed. And he got, they started, his pilot's a believer just like him. They started confessing the word, got to the ground. Two weeks later, on a borrowed plane, they lost another engine. Same thing. The point is, you don't start looking for scriptures when the chaos happens. You got to have it in you. And he will tell you, he will stand, he stood right here in this pulpit and he said, had I not had it in me, Bart and I would be dead. Well, you know, it's just that he had a good pilot. He had a, he had a Holy Ghost field pilots, what he had. Now, I know enough about aviation to know what they pulled off was a miracle. Now, last thing. Perfect love, casting out all fear. When this poor girl was put into a mental institution because she was told that God was mad at her, was the simple fact of her believing a lie. Now, if God has put something in you and for some reason your brain is telling you you can't do that, don't believe the lie. He told you you can. That's enough. Well, he's called me to this pastor and I just don't know if I have the tools. He's the creator of the universe. Don't you think he can create the tools and put them in you? You have everything you need to accomplish great things. But all of those great things hinge on understanding that he loves you and that he's not mad at you and that he's not angry, he's not trying to cause you problems. He wants you blessed, he wants you well, and he wants you doing his service his way. His way is easy. The Bible says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. There's a song that people like to sing, and I understand it, it's a good song. Uh, but it's, a, you know, Jason Crabb sings it. A lot of other people say, that, well, you know, he never promised, you know, the cross wouldn't get heavy. That's a lie. That's a bad song. <laughs> I love the song, but it's not biblical because he promised that my burden is easy. My yoke is light. We have to understand it's what he said, not what people say. Amen? Stand your feet with me. Uh, just, just bow your heads. Ah, we bless you, Jesus. (laughs) You're so good, Lord. Ah, we thank you for your presence, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Every service we leave here with people 
telling me, oh, Pastor, I, I just feel lighter. I feel this. I feel that. Well, the truth is, is all I need you to feel is that God loves you. It's really not about us as a ministry. It's about you receiving the love of Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, you say, Pastor, it's a Wednesday night. Yeah, but we never leave this place without giving an invitation. You say, Pastor Allen, I need to know who Jesus is. Nobody's going to call you to the front. Nobody's going to drag you out. As a matter of fact, the only person that's going to see your hand is me. If you're in this place and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm not asking you to join the church, and I'm certainly not asking you to make yourself a better person in 20 minutes. What I'm saying is you need to accept that he loves you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. On the count of three, just put your hand up, put it right back down. One, two, three, all across the place. All right, we're all saved in here. So this is what I want to do. We're not going to call anybody to the front and lay hands on people or any of that tonight. There is a corporate anointing in this room that whatever, listen to me now, and this I've been wanting to get right here all night long is to say these words. Whatever it is, just like me as a little boy in that apartment watching that movie, whatever it is, whoever it is, wherever it came from, wherever that seed was sown to make you believe in fear or that you can't or that you're not good enough or you're not able to in the name of Jesus we take authority over everything that would stop the next season of your life we take authority over everything that would stop you from accepting the love of who he is we take authority over everything that would stop peace from reigning in your life and Lord I thank you for such an anointing and presence in this room right now 